12,000 fans here at Bramlage Coliseum spilling out onto the court. A huge celebration as Kansas State, for the first time since 1983, has knocked off the Kansas Jayhawks in Manhattan. Bring on the podcast. Here's your host, A. Hernali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring on the Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke Thompson. Eric Grubottom is here with us to talk basketball. Eric, how you doing? Woo, Big 12 champs. Yeah, it's a good week to be a Wildcat fan. And we are joined today by the KUB writer for the Kansas City Star, which say go Jesse Newell. Jesse, how are you? Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And I really want to say I appreciate that you guys this year started offering the, the sports-only subscription. It's very good for us out-of-area folks who still want to follow the, the local sports teams. So. so Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And $30 for the year. Uh, yeah. I think the biggest thing that it does is it allows people to avoid the annoyance of hitting that paywall all the time. Because I hear people always say, oh, I got the fifth article. I can't click it anymore. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were hoping for whatever, 10 cents a day or 8 cents a day or whatever, that if nothing else, you can cut some annoyance out of your life. I think we all could use that. Yeah, yeah, just for sure. And just curious, have you guys, like, has it has it been pretty successful? Do you know the numbers on that or anything? <laughs> I'm not high up on the base yellow okay. numbers on it, but uh, they tell us it's doing well, and I think it was a, a pretty good uh, or well thought out thing for us. Just yeah. because I know I've, I've been in papers in the past where you have to subscribe to the whole paper, and I know some people are just sports fans and want to get that. So yeah, I think it's been well received at least. That if you don't want to just read all the politics and the news and everything, that for thirty bucks for the whole year you can just get the sports. And a lot of us out there are just wanting to be distracted from the real world for a while. So that's a really good option. Yeah, for sure. And, well, Jesse, I guess you haven't been around uh, nearly as long as, as our K-State writer, Kellis Robinette, has, but you've been at the KC Star for, for a couple years now. You know, you're getting pretty comfortable on the KU beat? Yeah, and actually... Or, I mean, you uh, were on that before. That's right, yeah. Yeah, well, and I went to school with Kellis, too, so okay. we go way back uh, <laughs> to, to our college days together, so it's it's kind of funny seeing him when I go over to Manhattan for Bramlage or whatever, but yeah. Three years uh, on the beat with the star. Uh, before that, a couple years with Topeka, and then even before that, five to six years with the Lawrence Journal World. So um, it's kind of a feeling like an old veteran. And with the uh, the new kids that come up and talk about certain things that I have no idea about, I start to feel my age a little bit more uh, every single year. But no, it's it's been good. And yeah, I just, like I said, uh, this has been sort of a learning experience on the job. You learn kind of the the nuances of the beats and how to deal with certain people and coaches and coaching staffs. But it's obviously been a fascinating time for KU, but this yeah. year has been a little bit different uh, with yeah. everything that's gone on. That, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. So did you think that you would still be there for the end of the streak? <laughs> we, you know, we knew we had, it had to end at some point. All of us did. It's just, it's really hard to pick it in advance mm-hmm. because you don't want to be the guy that sounds <laughs> foolish, but you know, the math, I'm, I'm a math guy for those people that don't follow me online. <laughs> The math has always said that this thing shouldn't go on for 14 years, and even having said that, I was 
you know, KU was preseason number one, so I definitely was one of those who was jumping in the boat to say that it was going to make they were going to make it 15 straight years this year. But uh, I figured I might be around when it happened. I just I really <laughs> didn't anticipate it being this year. And you know, we can talk about this a little bit. There's been other years in the past, including last year, where Texas Tech was up a game on Kansas. KU looked sort of vulnerable, and then whatever team that KU normally needs to lose down the stretch, usually that happens. And like last year, you know, Texas Tech had some injuries, you know, had, had some tough luck down the stretch, started losing a bunch. And then KU really swooped in and took the title. And this year you have to hand it to K-State and Texas Tech, because if you'd have told me before the season started that, you know, you'd have to go 14 and four to get a share of the title. I'd have been very surprised with how competitive the big 12 is, but you saw K-State, all those road games, you know, at Baylor, you know, at Texas, all these ones that where they were two or three point underdogs in, they end up winning, and um, we saw the big difference in the conference this year for KU, at least compared to K State, is that those road victories. You know, KU could not get it down the road. K State absolutely could. So, um, it's a credit to both Texas Tech and K State. They took the title more than KU lost it, I think. And this was a year where KU was a little bit vulnerable, but the other teams definitely stepped up and made sure that they won the thing. And that's not something that's happened here over the past decade and a half. Right, and, and to that point, even historically, I look back when when KU came to Manhattan. They were 6-3, and three, and there had been, I think, a couple other seasons during the streak when KU came to Manhattan with three losses, kind of struggling a little bit, and each of those times they blew out Kansas State. So it was really nice to see the Cats finally take advantage of that opportunity. So. Well, yeah, and you, and you kind of have to split with Kansas at least to give yourself <laughs> a shot, and you're right. I mean, if you don't do that, you start to feel like you've lost some momentum, you lost some ground, and at that time, when K-State played that game, you know, if KU had won, then... Yeah, we, we wouldn't have been thinking about this in the same way that we did after K-State took that victory. So, as I said, 14-4 and four in this conference, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really good mark, and I think it also speaks to just, as we know, how difficult it is to win the league. I mean, you can win the yeah. league some years when you remain healthy. You can win it when you're fortunate. You can win it when you win a bunch of close games. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to win a league, but uh, for K-State and Texas Tech to show the consistency that they did, um, like I said, I... You know, people will call it a choke job from Kansas or say that this wasn't the same team as years past. And that can be said to a certain extent, but uh, it would have been tough for Key to go 14-4 no matter the circumstances. And so that's why what the Red Raiders and Wildcats did was so impressive. Right, right. And actually, 14-4 has won the league every time it's happened except for, I believe it was 2011-2012, Missouri went 14-4, finished second because Mizzou can't have nice things, apparently. So. <laughs> Yeah, it always happens. But, um, you know, you mentioned you kind of have to split with Kansas, and and they were pretty good at home. You know, of course, as K-State fans, you know, we talk a little about the officials or or whatever it is that makes KU so good at home. But but this year, you know, have you ever seen a KU team that looks so different home and away? It's hard to think of it. If it ever has happened, I don't remember it, at least not during my years on the beat. And, yeah, three and what did KU end up on the road? Three and eight, three and eight I think, I is the yeah. yeah, yeah, the correct mark. And so uh, it is sort of funny because we talk about how vulnerable KU is and how they're you know not the same team as years past. But um, this is a team that's entering the postseason has not lost in a neutral side, has not lost at home. So I guess that's maybe comforting for KU fans. <laughs> I guess, uh, but no, it it really was crazy. I think it goes back to you know you can look at certain things, and Bill Self sort of made this point early in the season. KU, for instance, really struggled with turnovers on the road. And we saw that in the Manhattan game for sure. The Jacks had trouble even getting into their sets in Manhattan in case they play such good pressure defense, especially in front of their home crowd. But 
I think even that can kind of take a step back, as Bill Self said, and go back to just inexperience. And if you look at this KU roster, what made it so different from so many other ones is just that usually there's a guy that has been there, usually a guard, that's mm-hmm. been there two, three, or four years with Bill Self and understands the expectation, understands what it's like to go on road atmospheres, what's, what it's like to be in the Big 12, and if we're being frank about it, what it's like to win in Big 12 road atmospheres. And you look at the top players on this year's team, okay, Dietrich Lawson, uh, he transferred from Memphis, so he's on the team last year but didn't play. KJ Lawson, his brother, same thing. Four freshmen, four of them start in the starting lineup. So really the only rotation players you're looking at that played on last year's Bill Self team that won the Big 12 title were Marcus Garrett and Mitch Lightfoot, and both those guys are coming off the bench. So this was just a different team where the composure and I don't know what it would be like. I felt like in past years, and and maybe other opposing teams felt this as well, that KU sort of had a little bit of an invincibility about it. Like KU thought it was going to win, and then after a while the other team thought KU was going to win just because (laughs) it had happened so many years in a row. And this team definitely lacked that on the road. I mean, when KU started to lose a lead on the road, I think the other team gained confidence, and KU lost it. And it's just very rare for a Bill Self team to go into a season like that where you didn't figure they were going to be the one to win close games. You didn't figure they were going to be the ones that made winning plays down the stretch. In a lot of cases, it was the other team. So, you know, KU didn't play well against K-State late, uh, obviously blew the game against Arizona State on the road. West Virginia gave up a six-point lead late. You know, the Texas mm-hmm. game played bad on the road. Texas Tech got blown out. Oklahoma got blown out. So this was just a very strange team for Kansas, where usually those guys kind of thrive with a, a sort of attitude on the road. This team did not. And uh, like I said, maybe it'll be a good thing for their tournament stakes moving forward, but definitely it was a bad thing for them in Big 12 Conference play because Bill Self is not used to having that many road losses with any of his teams. Yeah, yeah. And, and Eric, I mean, we've talked a little bit about KU getting in K-State's heads. You know, did you see some of that maybe going away a little bit this, this season? And um, I, I certainly – what I saw was, a, a you know, definitely between K-State and KU was uh, K-State wasn't scared of them. They weren't backing down or anything like that. I honestly think that K-State went into Allen Fieldhouse thinking they could win that game. What I saw was the best defensive pressure that I had seen out of KU all season. And I actually made the comment during that game, if they could bring that every night, they'd be undefeated right now. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I really saw out of KU as the season went, as the season went on. It seemed like when they went on the road, of course, uh, you know, Jesse, as you mentioned, the turnovers, but also the defensive pressure just wasn't there. There's a level of toughness that that KU team has in Allen Fieldhouse, a level of attitude, that sort of thing that just also kind of evaporated when the when the team went on the road, too. So, uh, you know, as far as K-State be, or KU being in K-State's head, of course, KU is in K-State's head. I'll sit here and, and, and admit yeah. that freely. But at the same time, I firmly believe the guys showed up that day thinking that they were going to be able to that they were going to be able to win that game. But I think they also showed up thinking that they were going to get the same KU team that came into Manhattan, and that was not the case. Yeah. And Jesse, just, I mean, would you agree with those comments about how good KU's even the pressure was? I think you wrote an article about the decision to switch on Barry Brown and how that kind of threw him off a little bit. Or, uh... Yeah, it seemed to throw K-State off a little bit, and it should because it was a different <laughs> defense than KU had played the entire season. Uh, you can go back earlier in my articles. A lot of teams have played at three-pointers against Kansas, and that's sort of... Uh, what you guys are talking about, which has caused KU's defense problems, which is Bill Self doesn't mind playing a sort of passive defense, if you want to call it that, throughout his tenure, where he doesn't like to play out in passing lanes. He'd rather be a little bit more conservative and not allow easy baskets, because that's really his main philosophy, is don't give up easy baskets. But 
how the world is sort of flipped now with the rise of the three-point shot and what we see in the NBA is that teams aren't afraid to take 30 or 35 threes against Kansas. They're not going to be shy about doing that. And so while KU does a good job, even without elite rim protectors this year, protecting the rim and having good two-point percentage, teams have just said, okay, that's fine. You can do that. We'll just sit out here and shoot threes. And so I think what K-State's game plan coming in could have been is they saw the Texas game, they saw the Texas Tech game, they saw these teams really look at Kansas and say they're vulnerable on the outside. We can get open three-pointers against them. And then Bill Self in you know 48 hours flipped his defense so that they switched everything and they weren't allowing those open three-pointers that they were in some other games. And I agree with you that it's sort of tough if you're not going to pressure out defensively. And you're going to allow three-pointers while kind of content to guard the rim. You know, none of this is right. None of it's wrong. It's all defensive philosophy and your thoughts on it. And, for instance, Virginia gives up a lot of threes, and they have the number one defense in the nation. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that a strategy like this can't work. I'm just saying for Kansas, it's just a little bit different because they're not really dictating anything. You know, if you have Jeff Withy and everybody's trying to force the ball inside on you and he's blocking seven shots a game, well, you sort of feel like you're in control. You feel like you're, you are have a grasp of something. Whereas this Kansas defense, if you're not getting steals and you're not getting after people and you're allowing teams to take threes and your base defense is just relying upon whether a team makes six three-pointers against you or 13 three-pointers against you, <laughs> everything sort of feels like it's random and you don't really have much – um, like I said, grasp of what's going to happen in a particular game. And it's sort of it's fascinating to see the rise in three-pointers and how that has sort of flipped this defense and made it a little bit more difficult to pin on a given night how KU's defense is going to be. Because when those old teams of the past tried to force inside on Kansas, KU was waiting. You know, they had those <laughs> shot blocks. They had those guys throwing it back at you. But the world has just kind of evolved a little bit. And it's just a little bit of a different offensive era and so teams are attacking Kansas and not afraid to shoot from the outside maybe a little bit more than they were in the past and so I I think over time Bill Self like he did against K-State he kind of switched up and they switched more now than they ever have but uh, they might have to kind of keep evolving with the times because the three-point shot has definitely been the bugaboo for this Kansas team throughout the course of the entire season. Right and and so with that like Azubuke in there probably wouldn't have made a huge difference on as far as the minute, maybe it would have allowed them to play with some more pressure, I guess. But, you know, I, how much of a difference do you think he would have made defensively? I mean, that's kind of the big question for KU season, right? Yeah, it's it's difficult because I think he would have made a big impact offensively. Because what he does is what Bill Self loves to do. I mean, he loves two bigs. He loves throwing over the top. He loves getting easy baskets. I just talked about that. I mean, Bill Self has built his Hall of Fame career on get easy baskets, don't give up easy baskets. And... Mm-hmm. If we're being honest, Yudoka Azubuki is one of the best in the nation at getting easy baskets. You know, he sure. led the nation in dunks last year. He led the nation in, uh, I think, alley-oop dunks, all those sorts of things. So he was a perfect player, and Bill Self talked all preseason about how good of a passer Dietrich Lawson was. So he just envisioned and drew up on napkins, I'm sure, in the summer how he was going <laughs> to get Dietrich Lawson the ball in the perimeter, have him lob the ball over the top, to use his passing ability to get to Yudoka, and have him slam the ball a bunch. So... If you look at this Kansas team, at least from the advanced stats, this is the worst offensive team Bill Self has had in more than a decade. And I think that can directly go back to missing Udoka because they planned on having him. They planned on using two bigs. They planned on using Diedrich a certain way, and it it didn't work out. Defensively, I think KU is better with Udoka, but I think it could have been worse in certain matchups. With KU playing two bigs, they were going to be exposed on the outside, just like I talked about. I mean, if you have... Yudoka guarding a guy on the outside and Dieter guarding a guy on the outside, teams that play five out or play four out, one in, that's going to cause some problems. And so for Kansas, I think certain matchups, certain teams that try to play two bigs against them, 
they would have been overwhelmed. I mean, KU could have beaten those teams pretty badly. But teams that play four out, and if we're being honest, majority of teams now play four out offense. Uh, I think it would have been more like KU would have scored a lot of dunks. And the other teams would have got a lot of open threes. And so mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that KU would have won the Big 12 with Udoka. I know Bill Self likes to say, and this is point yeah. is technically true, that Udoka, and when Udoka was in, KU was undefeated. But right. it's also kind of ignoring a little bit of the reality that, like, KU squeaked one out against Stanford at home in overtime. You know, they had troubles with Villanova. They, they won another one. I mean, Tennessee's a good team, but they won that one in overtime. I mean, they were not setting the world on fire with Udoka. They were winning games. Uh, so I, I looked up some numbers, actually, uh, just today. I asked David Hess of Team Rankings. He's real generous with his time and his insight. And he looked it up, and I think the numbers pointed out that with Udoka, KU was about the ninth best team in the nation. And without him, they've been about the 17th best team in the nation. And, yeah. you know, to me, that's about right. But if you look at the schedule and the Big 12 and how things played out, would the ninth best team in the country have gone 14-4 and four in the Big 12? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it still might not happen. So there's still very much a world to me that Udoka could have been healthy. KU's offense would have been better. The defense would have been slightly better. And K-State or Texas Tech still could have won the Big 12 this year. I think that's definitely a scenario. And KU probably wouldn't have lived up to be the number one team in the nation they, like they were preseason even with Udoka. But there's no doubt they would have been a better team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you, you, you really hit the nail on the head saying that Doak was more of a, an impact offensively. His absence was anyways because not only is there that first layer that you're talking about being getting the easy buckets and being able to throw the ball up over the top to him, but also a, pre- a presence like that in a little post shrinks the opposing defense. They're going to come in and double up and everything like that, and that's going to start opening up perimeter shots probably a little bit more than what KU saw throughout the season without him in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then the offensive rebounding on top of that as well. I mean, you know, if you shoot a shot and you're not feeling good about it, but you don't get the rebound and dunks, then all of a sudden you're feeling pretty good about it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that happened to Kansas that, you know, we can talk about LeGerald Vick's departure too. That one is a little bit of a different scenario, obviously. <laughs> but uh, those are two of KU's going into the season, most talented offensive players. And without them, uh, this offense really has not looked like uh, – it hasn't been very good. It's been a team or an offense that is unlike any other in the last decade for Bill Self, and that is not me speaking that as a compliment. Yeah. And I appreciate you know you saying that and, and also what you said earlier about K-State and, and Tech Garden title. And it kind of brings up – and Eric, I don't know, maybe this is just a little bit of my – K-State victim mentality sometimes speaking, but it seems like in the national media you hear all about KU's missing all these guys, and you rarely ever see them talk about all the injuries that K-State has and continues to have, obviously, with Dean Wade issues now. I, I would say it it bothers me a little bit just because I'm a K-State fan, of course, <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's uh, I think a lot of it is expected, especially if you broaden out to the the national landscape. I think that at the end of the day, Kansas is a recognizable brand um, for across the country, whereas K State isn't, Texas Tech isn't. Sure. Um, you know, so a lot of the, uh, the the equivalencies there, the the injury issues that everybody dealt with this season, everything like that. Uh, certainly, they don't get brought up as much as they should to equilibrate the the playing field. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that a lot of us that are that paid attention to the Big 12 as a whole know that that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I'd appreciate also, I think Bill Self has um, been realistic about that, too. And, and you see that also in the player of the year race. You know, I was watching the, the K-State game a couple weeks ago that the announcer said something to the effect of, oh, Dietrich Lawson's got the numbers and he's going to run away with it. And, you know, of course, uh, Culver ends up winning and. 
And Bill Self said, you know, he felt like I think Culver and, and Lawson and Brown all could have won it, which seemed pretty reasonable. So, I mean, is, is that fair to say Bill Self is pretty realistic about, you know, how this season went and how it could have gone, Jesse? Yeah, and uh, before we get on that topic, I, okay. I wanted to bring up a point, too, because first off, I people aren't going to believe me, but they should believe me. Uh, <laughs> some of the most fun I have on Twitter is with K-State fans. Uh, grill me endlessly about my AP poll vote, but in the funniest way of anybody on Twitter, because uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious because I know that they're joking, other than the people in other fan bases. Uh, I won't mention any here, Tennessee, but like, are really, really mad about it. And I know the K-State fans are not mad about it, but trying to act like they're mad about it. So it's really funny. But I will say this, as an AP poll voter, K-State is, I don't know where to rank them. I, I have no idea. Like, they're the <laughs> toughest one for me to rank because, as I mentioned before, like, I've gone to David Hess from Team Rankings. You know, yeah. he, he works with them. And I've even mm-hmm. asked him, like, hey, can you give me numbers for when Dean Wade has just been in with K-State and when he hasn't? Because, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. Because, obviously, <laughs> when he was out, that was a different K-State team. And they kind of racked up some bad resume things. When he was out, when their offense is completely different, when we know that he's in, he's such a super efficient player, and he's a perfect fit for this K-State team because it struggles to score. You know, like there's times where the Wildcats have these lulls in offense where you think, oh my gosh, they're going to like have to hold the other team scoreless to to win this game. But Dean Wade solves so much of the issue. I mean, he's just he's a perfect fit. So when I asked David on that, I mean, again, same thing. Like he was telling me, like, okay, K-State when only Dean Wade is in, they play like the it was somewhere around between 9 and 11 or 9 and 12 best team in the nation. But mm-hmm. again, in my mind, I'm like, okay, now he's hurt again. And now he's not hurt again. And now he's hurt. <laughs> I mean, so like, I, I, I honestly, I have no idea what to do with K-State. They are like yeah. the toughest team to balance on my human pole because it, it's difficult for me to kind of come up with a real number for them. Because if you tell me that Dean Wade is healthy and that K-State is at full strength, then I would probably rank them, you know, a few spots higher. But if you told me, okay, he's not healthy and he might not come back this year, then I don't know where I'd put him. I mean, a lot of these advanced numbers don't love them that much. And part of that is because of the losses they had when he was not in the lineup. So uh, I, that's a tangent, but I didn't want to get that out there because they yeah. are the <laughs> toughest team for me to rank on a weekly basis. And so I understand some of the hate out there, but it's like, it's also like, this is not an easy job. I, I don't know what to do with them because they are such an outlier when it comes to when they're full strength and when they're not. Um, with Bill Self, I agree with you. Yeah, that, you know, I, I think he said all along that he thought the player of the year would go down to the player that won the Big 12 title. And so when both teams won at Texas Tech and K-State, he wasn't surprised that either Barry or uh, Jarrett Culver was going to win it. And in the end, Jarrett Culver did sort of the same role that I'm just talking about with Dean Wade, which is yeah. Jarrett Culver provides some offense on a team that desperately needs offense that plays amazing defense. And so, and I've said this on the radio, I'll say it again, you know, if Dean Wade had played all those games, I mean, I think that's why he made all Big 12 first team. He was kind of an obvious pick yeah. as the fifth pick there. But, man, if we change the wording of the award to say something like provided most value or most irreplaceable player, I could definitely vote for Dean Wade. Because, like I said, I've seen the numbers of K-State when they have him. And when they don't have him, and he provides that team exactly what it needs in exactly this situation. Yeah, and the the the, the sad part is there there were still a couple of games with Tulsa and A and M. Dean Wade was still in the lineup, but I don't know, maybe he wasn't totally healthy for those games. Uh, but that's yeah, certainly K State is is better with him. And actually, on a related note to that, there's been sort of a, a debate among K State fans uh, these last couple of days since the the press release came out. You know. 
saying that I think initially they said Dean Wade was questionable, and now he's even they're saying doubtful for the Big 12 tournament. And so you've got some people saying, oh, we, we, we shouldn't have put that out there, you know, because that's going to hurt us in the eyes of the selection committee and, you know, all this stuff. Um, just wondering, you know, what are your thoughts? Because I'm sure the selection committee is going to have the same struggle as you did as far as ranking them. Where do we put this team? Yeah, it's really difficult to parse that out, too, because Kansas fans have been saying the same thing. Like, okay, the actual selection committee guy a month ago in the bracket reveal said the reason that KU wasn't on the two line is one of the tiebreakers was KU hadn't played as well without Yudoka as a bookie. And some of their mm-hmm. wins earlier in the season came with Yudoka. And to me, this is – I can get off on a long tangent about <laughs> how we should see teams and, and what I believe is possible or, or should happen. But um, this is one where I think that maybe the human element sort of oversteps bounds a little bit to me you are what in this circumstance if the NCAA wants to follow this rule which is you are what your resume says you are and if your player is out then you still earned what you got throughout the course of the season with that player and it really shouldn't change that much based off of you anticipating what the loss of a player is going to do so I I don't know that there's too much to that uh, about Dean Wade I mean the basic bottom line is that whether they say he's going to play or he's not going to play i mean the proof's going to be in the pudding he's mm-hmm. there's going to play a game and he's either going to be out there or he's not and if i'm k-state i am being as conservative as possible you know i, I even wrote a, a story about this a couple of years ago because ku uh, you know sometimes these things it happens so often you figure you might as well write about it. ku had been so good for so long like they were earning and basically clinching one seed before the Big 12 tournament. And you see in, you see in the NBA a lot of times down the stretch, what do these playoff teams do? They rest their players down the stretch. They just sit them. They want to get them you know, fresh for the most important games coming up. And there's been a lot of research lately that says you know, rest can do a lot of good for the body. You want to be your freshest at the most important moments. And that if you do take it easy a week before or a few days before, that your performance does increase you know, over the course of the next few days. So if I'm K-State... I am playing this so conservative. Like, if there was any question, again, I don't know how uh, Dean Wade's foot is doing, but if there was any question, I'm sitting him. I'm, I'm completely sitting him out and making sure that he's healthy for the most important games. And that cost me half a seed line. It cost me half a seed line. But uh, I know where my bread is buttered, and that's the NCAA tournament. And that's what fans are going to remember. This Big 12 tournament's fun, and it's great for fans to come gather. And uh, in the moment, everybody can get caught up in it. But trust me, in about six days from now, nobody is going to care or remember about the Big 12 tournament. All the talk is going to be about the big dance. Yeah. All right, hot take, hot take alert. The Big 12 championship is nothing more than a series of exhibition games. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, ser- I, seriously, I don't care about the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think there's a future maybe when teams get smart about this. I mean, it took a while for the NBA teams to do this, and you know, they've tried to counter with fines and stuff, but... There was a time, I argued a couple years ago, that KU should treat it like a, a B-team game. They should play their five bench players. I mean, if they win, they win. They can play those guys again. But just get your guys five or ten minutes, your starters, get them out of there and get ready for the most important tournament. There's no reason to play three games in three days and tire yourself out before the most important stretch of the season the next week. So uh, I'm on your hot take. I'm on your bandwagon. Yeah. Let's get this thing going. <laughs> well, of course, that would either be a dream scenario or a nightmare scenario of your bubble team because on the one hand you know it gives you maybe an easier path to get to the automatic bid but at the same time it, you know if a lot of teams start doing that then all of a sudden you get teams stealing bids and and you're hurt on the bubble if you don't get one so yeah the bubble teams can go and play it hard i'm, I'm yeah. talking about the yeah UK i know i'm just saying that w- 
<laughs> but, uh, but no, I, and that's another option. It would affect them. Um, you know, it'd be like the tanking of the, the tournament. But if you <laughs> take the tournament, you got a better chance of another Big 12 team getting in. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, you got the top four teams tanking. Well, all of a sudden, West Virginia likes his chances of making the NCAA tournament. And again, <laughs> that could get the rules changed very quickly. But it is sort of another fascinating part about all this. We're years and years and years away from anybody even thinking about that. But uh, yeah. I'm crazy enough to think outside the box there and think that sometimes yeah. the teams, especially if they're beat up, could benefit from that. Yeah. And with I, think, and I, I think the tournaments make for an ex- for exciting and compelling television. But I like the way that Ivy League does it, where their regular season champ is the, the team that gets their auto bid. Well, that's not true anymore, right? Didn't they just add the tournament? Oh, did, did, did they just add a, a tournament? Yeah, they, they've got a tournament now. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with you, and I'll add one more. I love what the smaller conferences do, like the Missouri Valley, where they get that thing done, and then those teams can rest. So maybe that's the way to do it. You say, forget it. We're starting our league schedule a week early, and we're going to end our our conference tournament on a Saturday before the Saturday before selection Sunday. So the Valley, so if you win the Valley tournament, okay, you're sitting around for what, you know, seven, six, seven, eight days ready to prepare. And okay, you can lick your wounds, you can rest your guys, you can do what's needed with treatment. But uh, the bottom line is you're fresh and ready to go. You've got like, you know, 10 or 11 days off to get ready for that next opponent. You don't know who your next opponent is until selection Sunday. But I guess my point is if we're looking at rest and the importance of it, then some of these smaller schools have a little bit of an advantage. They can get their guys healthy and be readier than some of these other teams who are playing their conference tournaments all the way up to selection Sunday. I also appreciate that some of the smaller conferences, like uh, I covered the OVC for a little bit, so they stick out. But, you know, they just take the top eight teams. So if you're in the bottom part of the conference, you don't get to play in the tournament. You know, you got to earn your chance and like this year in the big 12 seems like a perfect time to just drop off those last two teams because there's a pretty big gap between eighth and ninth right seems like maybe you only have eight teams but i understand some people like the whole everybody gets an opportunity thing too so that's tough but i guess i mean ku is kind of dealing with whether they play conservative with marcus garrett right now right well uh actually kind of the opposite um you know bill self his thoughts on injuries a lot of the time is he wants guys to get out there to test it so that they are not scared of playing with it hmm. when the NCAA tournament comes along. So we've seen this kind of in different ways. A couple years ago, it was Perry Ellis with a knee injury, and he actually played him pretty extensively in the Big 12 tournament for the NCAA tournament because he wanted him to get trust in the knee. And then last year with Yoga Zabuki, it was actually the opposite. He had a knee injury, and Bill Self sat him for the entire Big 12 tournament. If you remember, Silvio de Sosa stepped in and had a great a great three-day stretch. Can you won the Big 12 tournament? And then the next week, Uduk was able to get out there against Penn, uh, the Ivy League champion, and uh, in that first instance of the tournament game, and get going again. So he's had different philosophies on this, but when it comes to Marcus Garrett, Garrett's played the last five games, so he has yeah. not been at 100%. It's actually a story I just wrote if people want right. to, uh, if the K-State fans want to check out this one <laughs> on Marcus Garrett. I don't know that they want to, but uh, basically... He's probably hovering somewhere around 60 to 70% right now, and Bill Self's hope is to get him around 90% by the NCAA tournament. Uh, so it's sort of a fascinating scenario, as I wrote about, because for him, you know, with Yudoka, he'll take 85% Yudoka. You know right. what I mean? Like, that's right. a good player. You know that's a good player. With Marcus Garrett, uh, it's a little tougher to kind of diagnose. If it's 80% Marcus Garrett, he's really good defensively, but he's a liability offensively, and teams kind of guard you four on five when he's out there because he can't shoot that well and, and doesn't score inside that well. So it's a little bit of a different math formula for Bill Self. If he really is injured that badly, 
I'm not sure if he deserves the minutes he's been getting lately, and that's something that Bill Self's going to have to kind of figure out on the fly as he navigates this NCAA tournament. Right. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Big 12. We talked with SB Nation's bracketologist last week, and he said TCU probably needed to to beat Texas to you know, make sure that Big 12 gets that eighth team, and they did. So it looks like the conferences you know, could get eight teams in. Uh, you know, who do you look at as the, as the teams having the best opportunities to make a deep run? Well, I mean, I would start honestly with Texas Tech. I, mm-hmm. I just, I love what they do and what they've done recently and what they do defensively. I mean, Chris Beard, as we know by now, is is a wizard. They have the top defense in the nation when you look at some of the advanced defensive numbers. And in the last eight games, after they lost to Kansas, or was it the nine games? It might be the last nine games. After they lost to Kansas on Fieldhouse, they won, let's see, one, two, three, four, nine games. Won their last nine games by an average margin of 18.9 points per game. So um, they look about as good as any team in the nation here over the course of the last month. Now, we know how it goes. I mean, it takes one off night. You can lose all those sorts of things, but I really love the trend that they've been on. Obviously, Kansas State, I mean, you do like them, and we talked about how Kansas can kind of get off or is a little bit flappable this year. I don't know if flappable is a word, but K-State would be the opposite of flappable. You know, they are unflappable when they have their senior guys in there, the Barry Browns, the Dean Wades of the world, and you just feel like, as I talk about those road games, I mean, K-State closed well. K-State didn't get you know, sped up. They didn't get outside of themselves in those games. They are experienced. And so uh, that's the sort of thing you would like to have in the tournament. You know, outside of that, I mean, you've got some wild cards, really. Uh, Kansas, I mean, do you really want to count Kansas out? I, I think for yeah. them, over the course of the last four games, and I'll sound like either a genius or an idiot when I say this, <laughs> they, they really have not shot the three very well at all. Mm-hmm. And um, that can make your offense look real bad in a hurry. And so we know how it works. I mean, if KU could get back to shooting well for two or three games in a row all of a sudden you could look up and they could be in the elite eight and you could say oh this team was fine offensively and (laughs) and that idiot jesse talked about how they're the worst offense in a decade and here they are scoring 85 (laughs) points in their their sweet 16 game so there's that i mean iowa state seems like they're in disarray with some of the stuff that's happened to them lately but man i I love the way that they can score and then uh, maybe the ultimate wild card is this team that might not even get in is texas if you look at some of the numbers out, out there in the predictive rankings texas is one of the teams at 16 and 15 that has had one of some of the worst close game luck of any team in the nation. And more than likely, if they get in the tournament, they're going to be favored in their first game, just based off the numbers we can see. So yeah. uh, that's not a team I would want to draw if I was a seven seed or a six seed. Like, oh, I get Texas and maybe one of the most talented teams in the country and a team that sort of gotten unlucky in these close game results. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of a quick look at it. But yeah. obviously, I think based off of the regular season, I, I would go Texas Tech and then K-State, and then kind of a group after that. But it, it really is hard to count out Kansas just because yeah. uh, you know they can get hot, you know they have the you know the, the, the recent success, and they also, I mean, we have to say it, they have Bill Self. I mean, late-game yeah. situations, he's going to be one of the guys you would consider as, as one of the top guys you would want on your sideline. So we'll see how it all turns out, and crazy things happen in a one-game sample. We definitely all know that. Yeah, I will say, I think K-State fans would like your article that you wrote recently about Kansas, that the historical trends as far as teams that compare to them and some of the advanced stats and such show that... Oh, man, it was ugly, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. So K-State fans, I'll check that one out if they want to feel better about uh, KU's chances. Uh. <laughs> 
Eric, I don't know. Do you have anything you want to add to that as far as, you know, which Big 12 teams you're going to be picking to go far in your bracket? No, I agree with it pretty much spot on. I think uh, I think Texas and uh, and K State have the best chance. Obviously, K State chances are better if we've got a mobile and healthy Dean Wade in there. You know, one of the things that I look at is uh, is really just consistency and being able to play your game and being su- successful playing your game and that sort of thing. And I think that's that's really what Texas and K State have shown that they brought to the table day in and day out in, in the Big Twelve. You know, I think uh, I think what the, the the knock on KU right now is just are the freshmen going to show up if they go out and play a game against not necessarily a first round game, but maybe a second round game where they've got someone that's got a little bit of fight in them. And all of a sudden the freshmen are playing like freshmen. Then I could see them taking an early exit. Otherwise, you know, they're also a team that has the talent to make it to, to second weekend basketball in the, in the tournament. I think beyond that, it's really, it's going to be an Iowa state catching a, a hot run of cards, you know, mm-hmm. making a bunch of buckets and playing their way through it. Baylor is going to be very much in the same boat. I think if Baylor can, mm-hmm. if Baylor can score the ball, then they're going to make it a ways. But uh, it's uh, the second they hit a team that really plays some tough defense against them. I think they're done pretty much below that. It's uh, it's talking about wild cards. It's, it, yeah. you know, someone can yeah. get lucky, but second <laughs> weekend basketball, probably not. Yeah. So Jesse, last thing I wanted to ask you about the NCAA tournament is, you know, that's, we saw a KU team with, with not a lot of depth go pretty far. You know, people, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, Kansas State doesn't have a lot of depth, but, you know, do you see that as being much of a problem in March? And I mean, obviously I'm not talking about Dean being out because that's more of a missing a first, Big 12 first teamer than a depth issue. But as long as you've got six or seven rotation guys, I mean, is, is that good enough? Yeah, I actually wrote about that a few years ago. I'd have to go back and find the article. But at the time I wrote it, it was probably three years ago, um, I looked at the teams that made the Final Four, and something like, oh, man, you guys have to look, fact check me on this. this morning, I'm in a newspaper. you got to fact check me. It was something like 15 or 16 of the 20 Final Four teams over that five-year span, they all had benches that were 300th or worse. Hmm. And so this really actually is the time of year where a limited rotation can sometimes benefit you or has benefited you in the past more than a bigger rotation just because guys get comfortable with each other. There's going to be a lot fewer whistles. Officials are going to be less likely to determine the game and want to foul guys out. And again, if you have guys you can trust in that rotation, uh, you don't really need more. You don't need 10 or 11 guys. That sometimes doesn't play as well in the NCAA tournament. And if you look at Kansas when they made their runs, I under, 2008 was a little bit of a different monster just because that KU team was sort of on a different level playing field just because they were so good offensively and defensively and they had some depth. But 2012, I mean, that team didn't have much depth. Last yeah. year, that team had basically no depth. Mm-hmm. So this can happen for teams that don't have much of a bench. In fact, uh, if there was any, quote, weakness that you could have to, to go into an NCAA tournament, that's the weakness I would want because, again, if you go over the course of time and look at recent results, a lot of teams have a lot of success in the tournament really shortening the rotation and not having many guys play. And so I, I think that might actually be a benefit rather than a curse. And uh, that's not something I'd be worried about, especially in this setting. Probably a little bit more over the course of an 18-game conference schedule just because, <laughs> hey, you go on the road and you're going to get some crazy calls and sometimes you're going to foul three guys out. And it, you know that, that might be happening in a road atmosphere, but that's a lot less likely to happen in the NCAA tournament. So if you've got seven or eight, I think you're good to go, and uh, we'll see how that far that takes K-State. And it's weird because Kansas, we thought this Kansas team would be super deep, but they're sort of down to eight or nine in their rotation, so they're kind of in the same boat as well. We'll see how both these teams fare coming up here in March. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think it's uh, just to kind of layer on top of that, it's really about, uh, at this point of the year, it's about 
removing as much as much of the moving parts as you can. If you've got a rotation of seven or eight players, then when you are making substitutions, like they're 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 more or less planned. You're not having to make decisions about who you're putting in. You kind of you've got your game plan going in, which is super helpful on those uh, on those two, on that two day turnaround uh, sort of thing. So it's really about simplifying it, simplifying your approach to the game, and just you know running your game plan. Yeah. I've got it pulled up, guys. Let me let me fact check myself here <laughs> real right. quick. Uh, let's see. How many Final Four teams ranked 300th or worse in bench minutes? 12 of the 20, and this was written wow. in 2017. Okay. So 60% had yeah. been the bottom 50 nationally. Uh, and that included the 2011-2012 Jayhawks, who I talked about earlier. So uh -huh. even if common sense tells us that a shorter bench is a bad thing, perhaps that isn't the case in March. Yeah. And it helps. I mean, they keep making these media timeouts longer every single year, it seems like. So more and more rest. Well, Jesse, I guess a couple of things before we let you go that I think are always on Kansas State fans' minds when they're talking about KU. Um, first of all, of course, all the NCAA investigation stuff. So can you just give us a quick summary of where that's at? What are the chances for meaningful penalties and, and kind of what's next in that process? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question and it's kind of an, uh, to be determined at this point. Um, so... They've kind of got two things going on right now, and I'll keep this as brief as I can, but obviously the Sylvia DeSosa case is going on and trying to get him eligible, and the NCAA gave him a two-year suspension. KU is appealing that right now, so that might be less than the one year we will see, but we don't have official word on that. But that is coinciding with the investigation that's going to happen for KU's program and if any violations occurred, if any you know punishment will be handed down from that. The two processes are different. The Silvio case happens really fast because it involves a student-athlete's eligibility. So you have to make it fast or mm -hmm. this would just play out in the courts and we'd be waiting on appeals and everything and he would never get a chance to play. So the NCAA tries to make that a very speedy process. The violations part, they make a very slow and deliberate process because if you're going to hand down punishments, if you're going to hand out postseason bans or suspensions for coaches, all those sorts of things, you got to be sure your facts are right. you got to get the schools a chance to go back and forth and agree to or not agree to facts in the case. So if I'm being completely honest with you, this is most likely a process that's going to take two to three years. It's going to play out for a while. It's going to be kind of that black cloud that hangs over KU for a while. And the NCAA most likely is going to start investigating this thing once all these federal trials are over, but they are not over as of yet. They're also going to try to get some of this information that was evidence in this court case, but not revealed and not allowed as evidence. Uh, so submitted evidence, but not allowed in the court case. Uh, the FBI, I'm sorry, the prosecutors have not uh, given that to the NCAA yet, but there might be more documents, wiretaps, texts out there that could help the NCAA here. They don't have that information yet. So a uh, long story short, this thing is going to play out over the course probably of definitely the next few months, most likely the next few years. This is not going to be a thing that goes away very quickly for Kansas. And to be honest, that's probably actually a worse thing for the program because mm -hmm. it just seems to be something that never, ever is going to go away or hasn't gone away at least through the course of the season. Yeah. Maybe we see KU as an assistant or something like LSU did. Well, and that, yeah, that's interesting because a lot of these schools, if you've seen lately, you know, Will Wade from LSU, he got suspended. There was a different coach out there that was involved, and he either got released or suspended. So schools are starting to do a little bit of a different take on some of this federal FBI stuff in that they're actually stepping forward and punishing these coaches, whereas Kansas went the opposite direction. They basically went to sort of a prove-it mentality, like, hey – 
we're not admitting anything. If you guys, if the NCAA can prove something, then come at us, basically. But these other schools are kind of taking a different method. So all that playing out will be sort of fascinating to watch, too, because Kansas is starting to kind of look like it's by itself out here on this island where they did not punish their coaches and they did not take action. Instead, they're kind of waiting for the NCAA to, to come and make some sort of statement with proof against them, and we'll see how far that the NCAA can get. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, I guess an optimistic K-State or other Big 12 fan might look at this and say, hey, well, this would be the perfect time for Bill Self to finally jump to the NBA and, and get away from all this. Uh, you know, that, that's always kind of the pipe dream, I think, for a lot of Big 12 basketball fans. Uh, you know, do you think there's any chance of that happening this offseason? Well, I mean, I guess there's always a chance. I don't think it's probably as high as people think for a couple reasons. For one, it's sort of interesting because we hear Bill Self always talk about toughness and grinding through and, you know, being accountable for your mistakes. And this isn't to say that if the Spurs offered him the job tomorrow that he wouldn't take the Spurs job because maybe that's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. But I'm not sure that this is something – where he just wants to run away from it because of the appearance that that would be. Now, listen, this past year has been really bad for Kansas. I mean, it's he's been, you know, it's it's been tough on him. I mean, why wouldn't it be tough on you for all the stress he's had to go through with, with all the stuff that's happened to him and his program here? But I think over the course of time, he's started to learn to manage it a little bit better. And I won't say the NBA doesn't intrigue him because he's always talked about how it's sort of intrigued him. He's always sort of wanted to position himself in a good NBA job, though, because we understand that if you take a bad NBA job, you're probably going to be fired within two or three years anyway, and you won't really have a chance. So I don't see him just taking any opportunity. I would never say never at the NBA with him because he always seemed like a guy who would look maybe for a different challenge. And there's always the talk of, hey, the Spurs, because their general manager is R.C. Buford. They were both at each other's weddings. You know, they go way back to their Oklahoma State days, all those sorts of things. But at this point, I'm not convinced that he would just jump at anything and leave. I think Mm – He's not the sort of person who would not follow through on his words to hang around if there were tough times and make his way through with that. I think he also understands that he has a really good gig at Kansas where if he snaps his fingers and needs something, he gets it. And he gets paid really well, and uh, he's sort of settled into a nice role here, especially with the university and, and the needs that he Whatever needs he has, he gets met here, and he's basically seen as a god around these parts. I think we all understand that. So we'll see. I mean, listen, there's, that's not to say that something couldn't break tomorrow and circumstances couldn't change and that um, he might want to find an escape hatch. But I don't get that impression from him right now. It's a possibility for sure. And like I said, if the Spurs come calling, maybe it doesn't matter either way. But at this point, I, I don't envision him just taking a job to take a job. I think he'll see this thing out, again, unless circumstances changes. Or, th- or change, or things get a whole lot worse, which either of those, I guess, is still possible. Mm-hmm. Well, not exactly the answer we wanted, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jesse, thanks so much for, for coming on. I always appreciate it. love your insight. Um, see, I guess so people can read your stuff at kansas.com, kansascity.com, and follow you on Twitter, at Jesse Newell. Anything that I'm missing there? Nope, that's it. And uh, like I said, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, I will say this truthfully because I have said it to a lot of people. I've actually talked to, talk to somebody about it today. 
Uh, one of the coolest things we see on the road every year is Sandstorm at K-State. <laughs> so I was d- totally bummed that when they told me that it wasn't going to happen this year. And so I, I hope it comes back in the future. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it is definitely one of the coolest atmosphere things that happens around Kansas basketball. I know every team gets up to play Kansas, but uh, mm-hmm. that, that, that's kind of a yeah. special thing. And so hopefully it comes back, and I've got no problem with it. I know a lot of Kansas yeah. fans <laughs> made their opinions known on yeah. that. But at least from the media side of this, I can tell you mm-hmm. that uh, myself and a lot of other people that go cover KU games uh, get kind of excited when Sandstorm plays. It's kind of a, <laughs> something that gets your energy, your, your heart pumping and your energy flowing. Yeah, I was glad they let them do it after the game on Saturday, after K-State yep. won the title. So that was cool. Why not? Let, let, let everyone have fun, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, well, we appreciate it, Jesse. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on and have fun at KC. Oh, yeah! I right. I'm